we need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. Episode 279, Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast. I'm Trevor, a.k.a. the Iron Fist. With me, as always, Scott the Velvet Glove. G'day, Trevor. G'day, Paul. G'day, Joe. G'day, listeners. And for those of you keeping a check, I am still unemployed and I am still on the dole. But I am applying for a hell of a lot of jobs and did get quite a few interviews in the last week. Mm. Anybody out there needing an accountant? Exactly, yeah. (laughs) In Brisbane, preferably. Um, Yes, let us know. Mm. Also with us... Paul, the 12th man. Greetings, Earthlings. And you'd be short of work as well with no foreign <laughs> students around to very teach short, English. To very, teach very English short. Yes. Anybody got a foreign language, well, an English language school teaching foreign students? It's, They're all on the knees. Exactly. Uh, let us know. Um, Joe, you're fully employed because you're in the tech world. So, yeah, yeah you can't complain. No Welcome rest, aboard again. No rest for the wicked. Yes. Uh, so we're all here. Uh, it's another week and... Uh, we'll go through our normal uh, list of topics. Um, if you're in the chat room, say hello. There's a few new names there. Steel Wolf, James Lean and Daniel Flanagan. They're all new names, it looks to me. So welcome aboard. Say hello if you're in the chat room and make some comments and we'll try and get some if we can. Also, if you are really itching to talk to us and you've got something to say of interest, a little something insightful, then you could call in via Zoom. So the Zoom link will appear at some point and... Joe will look after that, and you'll end up in Zoom in our, in our waiting room, and you could be patched in. So if you've got uh, some idea that you want to share with us, um, make it a good one. Don't just ring up and say, hi, guys, how's it going? Like, you've got to have something to say, or you might be bouncing out real quick, but uh, you're welcome to try and Zoom in if you, uh, if you feel the need. So, all righty. So, if Landon Hardbottom's out there, he could call us. Yeah, yeah. that would be good, Landon. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So, that's open to you. And now, guys, I didn't have this on the agenda that I sent to you last oh, a day ago. <laughs> You've got to feel sorry for these guys, dear listeners, because I send them a, a list of notes <laughs> with about 24 hours to go, and it's probably about 5,000 words. So, anyway, um, it's short notice, but that's the way it works out. Uh, Noosa Temple of Satan has been very busy. Um, Robin's got a lot of things on the go, and I'm helping him out with a few things. So as you know, he had his Black Mass, which was quite successful, stirred up a lot of controversy. A lot of uh, Christians weren't happy. He had his Flying Satan sign, which he towed behind a plane um, over Noosa. Um, In the future, uh, looking at school chaplains, and the other thing I thought about as well, I haven't even mentioned this to Robin, is there's talk of Queensland getting the Olympics in 2032. Mm. Do you know that Olympic Games have their own chaplains? <laughs> so you no. apply to be a Satanist chaplain, are you? Absolutely. Good on him. Oh, well, I'm going to apply. Oh, that's a great Trevor's thing. going to apply. Yeah. yeah. So I remember seeing it for the Sydney Olympics that they had chaplains and uh, various denominations, and I'm sure there'll be a need for satanic chaplains at the 2032 Olympic Games. So that'll be one, Robin, that we can apply for. That would be a good gig. Currently, um, he's got a uh, human rights um, discrimination complaint with Possible because he he was initially trying to fund something through them and they knocked him back, seemingly because of his religion. So that's going to be a test of his religious freedom that's started. 
Um, Grace Grace, the Education Minister in Queensland, has been reappointed as Education Minister. <laughs> so she has received a letter this afternoon um, about what she got up to prior to the election with her comments that were discriminatory. And um, so things are happening she that way. She sounded a little bit bigoted, didn't she? Yes, a little bit uh, discriminatory. So, are there Queensland mm, discrimination laws? Yes, okay. there are, yes. So that's what she's received a letter about. Right. And a request for a meeting and an apology so that she doesn't have to front the Human Rights Commission. Good. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> also, um, Brisbane City Council, as you know, with petitions um, about prayers, yep. uh, knocked them back. But, of course, this Anti-Discrimination Act in Queensland applies to council meetings. So <laughs> they, right. they have also received a letter today. Because you heard um, New South Wales, one of the... Um, Local councils has mm. just brought in a new council bylaw right. that says only Christian prayers are allowed. Really? Yes. Mm. Well, I don't know if there's an anti-discrimination act in New South Wales, but there's one in Queensland. Right. So, so the uh, the the guy running the the chair of the council meetings, he's also just received a letter advising him that it's a discrimination um, to have a Christian prayer. So there's all that underway, dear listener, and so if you're not following the Noosa Temple of Satan Facebook page, get over there because there's lots happening. And finally, the latest thing is about stamps. Have you guys ever organised personalised stamps? No. Right. Personalised stamps. stamps. So you can now – it's been going on for quite a while. You can um, send an image into the – post office and they will print out stamps using your image. Postage stamps? Yes. Really? So you can have personalised postage stamps. Never heard of it. Yeah. So that's a thing. So, and of course, there are um, religious postage stamps with uh, pictures of um, religious icons and etc. And so... Um, Robin thought, well, here's an ideal opportunity for (laughs) Satanists to create uh, postage stamps. So you'll probably put on the screen there. I've got some in the um, PowerPoint. And, guys, I'll show it on the screen so you can see some. But that's a picture. If you're in the chat room, have a look at it. Uh, <laughs> fairly simple one there of Robin saying, Happy holiday, Satanists, uh, Brother Samuel Demogorgon. And, and that was it. And he got knocked back. So on the one hand, they're pretty Bigotry. Out. On the one discrimination. It, on the one That's hand, a bigotry. They're I, printing I out. Did see on their Facebook page somebody suggesting that maybe it was the symbol because you're not allowed flags. Well, we'll find out. Yeah. So there's another thing that's happening. So, um, so Robin's um, followers who are trying to get that done. So according to uh, Robin's Facebook page, what did he say there? Um, Grave news, dear sinners, Australia Post has stamped out the religious freedom of Satanists for this holiday season, refusing to print stamps with our spiritual leader, Brother Samael Demogorgon. And uh, he says it's a sad day for religious freedom in Australia and he's hoping Scott Morrison will intervene. So we'll see about that one. So uh, he posted that about two hours ago and there were 35 comments, 31 shares and 235 emoji likes or whatever to go with it. So... (laughs) It's got and, amazing traction, this stuff. And probably much gnashing of teeth. Indeed, yeah. So um, so anyway, Robin's creating a stir, and this, of course, is just basically creating a body of work which is, is designed to scare the bejesus out of the religious right in the Morrison cabinet who start thinking about 
putting forward this religious discrimination bill and saying, well, you realise that the more you provide um, privileges under that bill, the more crazy, you know, guys like Crazy Robin will take advantage of it. Do you really want that? So mm -hmm. that is the whole point, and I think uh, he's doing a great job there. So that's He's doing an excellent job, and, mm. you know, it's... I've said it before, I'll say it again. If the Christians would just back down, all this stuff would go away. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so that's uh, so that's what Robin's up to. Good on you, Robin. And I also didn't put it on the agenda, but um, we mentioned briefly last week about the bonk ban. And, yeah, with um, and, Christian Porter and uh, Alan Tudge. Yes, yeah. and different people provided feedback afterwards, sort of saying, "Well, there's this power imbalance, and we don't want." It's it's always, and I saw a bit on Q and A. I think it might have been where basically. Invariably, it's the man who's in the powerful position. It's the woman who's not. And if the relationship goes sour, the woman ends up losing a job and having to go elsewhere sort of thing. And that's the sort of but, argument but against But there was it. the case of the mm. Labor Party member. Mm. You'll recall, what was, what was her name? So a powerful female and less powerful male, wasn't it? She was a member of the parliament. Right. And um, there was an accusation made against her of... Uh, workplace bullying mm. and possibly sexual harassment, mm. um, which is unusual, obviously, mm. for a, a female member of parliament to have that accusation levelled against them. Mm. But it was. And uh, there was an inquiry and uh, she was found to have, you know, been basically not guilty of most of them. Mm. Um, I think she ended up resigning, didn't she? Yeah. So it can she work the other way, but it would be a rare, it would be a much... Rare event. And one uh, one journalist on uh, Insiders on Sunday made the point that uh, there was a big inquiry when it was a woman MP with those accusations, but when mm. it's a male MP, or in, in this case Alan Tudge and mm. um, Christian Porter, mm. no inquiry needed. Mm. And apparently um, Alan Tudge's supposed mistress has been told that... Um, they're having to review her application for a defence job, I think it is. Yes. Now that she's gone into the media, mm. they're having to think seriously about whether they're going to give her the position. Yeah, yeah. She's so she's definitely enough. seems to be suffering yes. a, uh, a real consequence of it. I don't know whether the Christian Porter's girlfriend was was alleged to have suffered in that manner or not. I didn't see anything yeah. about it. Yeah, which was... Didn't she end up going to Michaelia Cash's office and then Michaelia Cash shoved her out and made uh, her redundant? I, I thought that would be Tudge's I thought that was Tudge's yeah. 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 Love yeah. interest. So when it... Uh, well, this is an example of why a little bit of diversity in our own shop here wouldn't hurt because this is one where... Oh, you're it's... not having skirts on the podcast, Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is where... This is where you have to admit that having... A female voice with the experience of a female in life adds something to the discussion that we don't have. Sure, why so, not? So any, you know... Well, we have had female guests on occasion. We have, yes. It's hard to attract them to this real blokey it, podcast, isn't it? It is. But, you know, if you're out there and you're thinking you'd like to be a regular or semi-regular member who can make it into the gap on a Tuesday, 730 um, well, you can always zoom in. Uh, yeah, but it's just not the not same. The same it's, it? You need to be here physically to sort yeah. of. Otherwise, it just it's difficult to chime yeah. in. So there is an open invitation there because I'm very much aware and that the, the, four the, blokes sitting around talking about this issue. The where male un, body odor adds something to the ambience yeah, too. I think. Where where 
unqualified to speak, speak from the perspective of females in this situation. But I did, in my defence, speak to my wife prior to this and say, what do you think of this situation of power imbalance? And we immediately started thinking of couples that we know, mm-hmm. which came about with a powerful male oh. falling in love with a less powerful female and getting married, having kids and living happily ever after. Mm-hmm. Like, I know, you know, we could... Uh, my old boss at a law firm, married his secretary, two Absolutely. kids, still see them now. Absolutely. A friend of ours in Cairns, a doctor, um, married the nurse, and uh, th- two kids later, happily married. And you know, It does. It's very common. Yes. And, yes. and this is precisely yeah. why I think all this... Uh, you know, all this political correctness around your your behaviour with the yeah. other gender in the workplace or the same yeah. gender or whatever mm. is uh, has gone a little bit too far because it really kills, you know, those yeah. sorts of potential happy marriages and lived happily ever after yeah. relationships. Yeah. But, Roman in the chat room says, glad to admit you're blokey. Well, yeah, but Roman, if you lived in Brisbane in the western suburbs, you'd be on this podcast every week. You wouldn't be allowed <laughs> out of it. So, you know, you're lucky down in there in Melbourne you've escaped. But um, uh, what? here's my argument, I guess, is where do people spend all the How are you supposed to meet a partner if not? I mean, you do meet people out of work, of course, but it is a common ground for meeting Very, partners, very common. Indeed. But there was also... Um, inappropriate abuses of power. And that's where people should be punished. So I, I would think if you are a male in a position of power and you you know, partner in a law firm, you're thinking of looking up with the secretary or whatever, you have to realise if this goes sour, I have to be able to offer this employee a job elsewhere in the firm at a similar level where you, you've, you have to take that into account. And if um, somebody is then not um, looked after properly, come down like a tonne of bricks on them. But I'm thinking also of um, doctors and nurses was a, another example. In a big hospital, for example, it, it's easy to imagine that in large hospitals, it, people can move sideways, avoid each other and get on with life sort of thing. But, mm. you know, we're saying, you know, sort of uh, let's let's talk an old-fashioned Doctors are males, nurses are females situation. Um, we've now got a lot of female doctors. Are we saying to male doctors, well, you're allowed to bonk female... So we're saying to male doctors, you're allowed to bonk female doctors but not female nurses because there's a power imbalance there. Just... It if it's consensual, for, yes. what's mm. the f- problem, yeah. really? Yep. You know, yeah. Do, do, well, this is the whole point. Like, you know, Alan Tudge and Christian Porter's relationships all started out consensually, is my mm, understanding. Mm. Now, they went pear-shaped. I didn't see the full story. I've still got to watch it. Yeah. But... <clears throat> Some people get uh-huh. hurt more than others. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that is, I think, what happened. And yeah. I don't know... I, you know, I'm the first to admit I haven't seen the story or anything like that, so mm. please don't crucify me for saying this. But it sounds like the ladies involved were probably more upset than the they, gentlemen were. They probably had an emotional investment that the guy didn't have because he's just a well, prick. It, it's just, not whether they have an emotional upset. It's the fact that they're suffering 
consequences, workplace mm. consequences. Mm. And they shouldn't. Yeah, and so, those, those workplace consequences shouldn't have happened. And, and they I agree wholeheartedly with that. Yeah, but, so, but you should be able to have a relationship, call it off, and then maintain proper employment provisions for... Exactly. For especially the, down, the powerless female, if that's the case. Especially down in Canberra and, and where you the, could just move mm. them sideways and all that sort of thing, you mm. know. Um, so, anyway, um, it's just tricky, I think, and I have some sympathy for and just a realisation of how the world works and people are working 60 hours a week at work and how else are you going to find a partner? At, at so, a former employer, mm. I... Um, there was a relationship going on between a manager and one of his employees and he ended up interviewing her for a position. Mm. Um, He was sat on the board, the interview panel. Right. Well, you've got to declare conflicts of interest. Everyone knew it was going on. Right. It was just, I couldn't believe that 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 was allowed to happen. Well, when I was a teenager working at McDonald's, and my brother was had become a part-time manager at that point. And he talked about a meeting that happened, um, a manager's meeting. And um, the store manager said to the other managers, that's it. Guys, you can't screw the crew. Just stop it. <laughs> and then they said, but what about Nathan? He's already going out with such and such. Oh, that's okay. They're already going. They can keep going. But no more. No more screwing the crew. That was, that was the phrase they used at McDonald's back in... 1980. Mm. So there you go. It was a thing back then, and it still is. It always will be. Mm. Right. So now that we've offended um, a fair section of the audience, of the population, <laughs> it's um, we'll move on. Um, I also didn't put this on, but I'll just slip it in. Uh, Paul, South Australia, 29 people infected, mm-hmm. uh, calling it a nasty sort of outbreak, and 4,000 4, people in quarantine. Um, <laughs> Excessive, in your view? Very. Right. Scott? Excessive? 4,000 people in quarantine after 21 people infected? No, I don't think so. Mm. You, yeah. You've got to understand just how quickly the, this infection takes hold and that sort of stuff. It gets out of control extremely quickly. So I would have been very happy if South Australia had gone further with the lockdowns and all that sort of stuff just to get a, get a jump on it quickly. It's an right. argument for a nuclear deterrent. <laughs> Please explain. Is that just he a wants joke? To, he wants to new Cadillac. <laughs> so any of our South Australian listeners down there, you know. Anyone in South Australia listening? Let us know. Um, performance of state premiers. Essential poll came out and looking at the performance of the state premiers and Gladys Berejiklian, 75% approval. Daniel Andrews is now up to 65%. Equal with Anastasia Palaszczuk on 65, Stephen Marshall in South Australia on 60. But leading the field in Western Australia, Mark McGowan, approval rating of 87%. Boy, have you ever heard of figures like that? Approval rating for a Premier, 87%. So Gladys Berejiklian ended up at 75%. St. Gladys has been lauded, has been fated by News.com. Yes, I mean, this is a but, woman who's just been outed for a relationship yeah, exactly. with a dodgy Daryl. Yeah. And, uh, oh, and show some sympathy for the poor woman. Well, hang on. Now, there no, was, was, that a woman, was that a woman in power with a man of lesser power? Well, apparently and, so. But, yeah. you know, 
He was a minister for a time, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, wasn't he a mayor he, or something? He or had to step no, down yeah, from the minister's position because he had to go to the backbench yeah. because something had come out publicly and all that sort of thing. Mm. Now, he was planning on standing down at the next election or he was going to resign before the next election or something like that. Mm. I just don't understand how the hell she's got 75% saying she's doing the right thing. Mm. This is a, Just coming back to this, though, when you talk about a bonking ban, don't bonk anyone less powerful than you. When you're the Premier of the state, it doesn't leave you many options, does you it? You have to go federal. <laughs> I guess you've got to just pick somebody out of politics. But look, I, I, honestly, I think a, a woman like her, you know, she's a mature woman. She's not a young thing anymore. And her, um, you know, I, I actually felt quite sorry for her, I have to say. I felt sorry for her as well. But I mean, she fell in love with the wrong guy. Yeah, and and yep. that happens to a lot but of she people. she was in charge of funding ICAC when yeah. he was being investigated by ICAC. So yeah. her approval rating should not have gone up by, no, by that's, 8% that's, in a month. That's the whole point that I find mm. ridiculous is that, you know. It's, it's amazing. Gone up 8%. Yeah. Get caught doing something foolish and yeah. your approval rating skyrockets. Daniel Andrews, by the way, he's skyrocketed as well. In a month, he went from 54 to 65, so he's been forgiven by a lot of people. Yep. So um, uh, let me just see. Uh, I'll skip that one. Responses to COVID. Um, speed of easing lockdown restrictions in Victoria. Overall, do you think Victoria has moved too quickly, too slowly, or about the right speed? Glacial. In terms of lifting lockdown restrictions, and this was asked in Victoria only, and 65% said it was about right, 28% said too slow, 7% said too quickly. So that's still a significant approval of the rate of um, easing of lockdown, 65% of Victorians. So, So he seems to be in line with public opinion there. And what would they know? Indeed. <laughs> of their own life circumstances. Well, I mean, realistically. <laughs> they how, they how need many, the elites to tell them what to think. How many people, you know, avidly study the news and, you know, look at the stats and try and, you know, fathom what's really going How many? What proportion of the population actually spends as much time as we do trying to understand what's going on? Well... If you then look at the next question, which was, how closely have you been following these news stories in the last fortnight? US election, 68% say closely, and 73% say the easing of COVID-19 restrictions in Victoria. So people say, 73% say they've been following it closely. Paul, that's very subjective, isn't it? That's, people For have some been people, saying, following I feel it closely like been, yes, would be watching the evening news every night. Yeah, well... I think there's only one number you've got to remember, Paul. That was 725 daily new cases two, three months ago. Cases, it's down to zero. Cases so, isn't the point. So, so. Yeah, cases are the so, point. So, so, oh, but, come on. But arguably, Paul, right, no, we won't get into this again because, but, you know, people have made up their own minds and these are people in Victoria, Paul. So you're up here in sunny Queensland telling Victorians how they should feel about their situation and... You're a little bit remote and removed from, He's from what's happening on the ground. Queen, that's right. Queensland explaining, as opposed to mansplaining. Yeah, Queen, Queen Marone explaining. Yeah, but it's not just me. Lots of people in Victoria are very upset with yes. Andrews as well. Roman makes a good point that people have to follow the COVID restrictions news closely as um, the restrictions keep changing. So people have to follow it to know that they're not going to be thrown in jail. Roman's in Victoria, she isn't is. she? Yeah. Yeah. She's in Victoria. Do we know what part? 
Well, she was going to meet us for uh, no, she was going to meet us for breakfast in Melbourne. That yeah, time. she's been somewhere in Melbourne. Oh, okay. Yeah, but she was crook; she couldn't make it. Oh, Hello, Bronwyn, sorry, Bronwyn. Yeah, would have loved to have met you. Yeah, exactly. My my um thing isn't showing how many people in the chat room. Does yours tell you how many are there? Fifteen. Fifteen. Right. Okay. Next topic. This now, Paul, you sent some through. I did. during the week. Did yeah. you send this one about the Maori tattoos? I did. Yeah. Yes. So, dear did, listener, did you like if it? you're in the chat room, have a look at the picture here. Um. This is quite striking. I it think. is, isn't it? Yes. Quite an image. Yes. So it's about Maori face tattoos. Is it okay for a white woman to have one? So um, face tattoos have been a part of Maori culture for centuries. It's a sacred marker of the wearer's genealogy and heritage. But one woman's striking chin design, or moko, has generated huge debate in New Zealand because she's white with no Maori heritage. She's got a Maori tattoo on her chin. How dare she? Yeah. So it's split the um, Maori population. Um, some are saying okay and some are saying not okay. And um, what are some of the comments by people who say it's not okay? Um, uh, well, the tattoo artist um, said he had strong reservations about carrying out the work, but after many calls and discussions, I realised the only reason to deny her would be that of race. And then he complained recently that she seemed to be using it to promote her business. Uh, So she sort of eased back on that. Um, So there's an associate professor, university, who says it's an important symbol of post-colonialism and um, it's the Maori deciding to reclaim their heritage and identity and we have to protect the last bastions we have as Maori to make us different. So, um, so Paul, your thoughts on a white woman and having a Maori tattoo and the uproar? <laughs> Why would I care if people right. want to disfigure themselves? Be my guest. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm in exactly the same boat as Paul. I, I just think to myself, it looks ridiculous. Yes. But. You know, if she wants to have it done, she should be able to do it. Yes. So clearly, we I don't care. We don't care. If she wants to do it, go, go ahead. Um, but for the people who are Maori who are saying, that, this is wrong, mm, you shouldn't be doing the this. The culture is being stolen yes. by the, a person of the wrong do you, heritage. Do you agree with them or not? No. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's it's, you know, if they want to get upset about it, well, I suppose you know they can get mm. upset about it, but I think it's a bit they, silly. They, they can be they can be upset about it all they want, yeah. but we live in a you know, New Zealand is a liberal democracy, so I mean you're able to have a face tattoo if you really want one. So. M- most of the Maoris I've ever met were mm. wearing Western style clothes mm-hmm. and drinking. Australian beer. Right. Yep. You know, I mean, so it goes both ways. Exactly. You know, I mean, humans have been borrowing stuff from each other since we, in, you know, since we invented sticks to throw at animals, you know. Mm. I mean, it's just absurd that people think humans are not copycats. We've always been copycats and, mm. you know, that's, that's part of what makes us so successful. Indeed. Is that we copy each other's good ideas, sometimes the that's bad right. ones hopefully, as well. Hopefully discard the bad ones. Yeah, yes. although we've kept more than a few of those as well, haven't we? Indeed. Sorry, so, I moved my mic. Is it too far? Uh, no, you're sounding good. Okay. So uh, one Maori leader, David Rankin, said, 
She paid for it. It's her chin. And if she wants to walk around with a scribble on her face, that's entirely up to her. That was funny. Um, Her husband, who is Maori and has a full facial moco, uh, told the TV it took him a while to accept her wish to get a tattoo. But his wife was, quote, more Maori than you'll ever be because her heart is pure, always has been. Her soul is a pure soul. Oh, God. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's a racist statement in itself, isn't it? It's saying that if you're Maori, you're, mm. you're more pure yes. than the non-Maori. Yes. I mean, this is racism, isn't it, yes. really? I wonder, so um, for activists who deny her identification as a Maori, it seems she's quite genuine in her. She's married a Maori guy and, you know, identifies in that way. Uh, so the, for the activists who deny her this, would they do the same for a trans person, I wonder, who says, I want to identify as the other sex now, to transition? Would they say, no, because you don't have the genetic makeup that's required or the chromosomal makeup, um, therefore you can't? Or would they be more flexible and say, sure? Adopt another sex if that's what you want to do. Like, I just wonder if there are people in that community holding those two different views. I bet you there are, and they don't see the inherent conflict in there. So, um, yeah, there we go. Um, just in the chat room, Mel says, if you turn down unwanted advances, your future work will suffer. And Bronwyn says, yes. And so many women in particular have had to leave their jobs for this reason. And like that... That would happen undoubtedly, and I don't know what you do to legislate to stop it happening. It's a very difficult thing to prove, to say, well, I didn't get to stay or I got made redundant or I got shifted I, to I, a lower position. It's a tricky thing to prove. But the, the balance in some ways has mm. gone the other direction where mm. a an unwanted advance, even mm. if it is... Um, not overbearing mm. can actually end somebody's career. Uh, yeah, the mm. person making the advances career. Mm. Yes. So, so in some can ways, the other way. Yeah. So, mm. so it's finding the balance, the the right balance where, mm. um, you can mm. make a reasonable advance, mm. and if you get knocked back, you take it gracefully and carry on. Mm. Um. So that it isn't seen, it isn't frowned upon, but people don't get pressured or bullied. Mm. In other words, act like adults. Well, mm. yes. You know, I mean, if somebody makes a, a suggestion, like, um, oh, there's a new cafe down the road, would, you know, would you like to have a coffee with me sometime? Mm-hmm. I mean, the mature response would be if, if, if the other person isn't interested, oh, thanks, but uh, no, I'm not into that. Thanks, thanks. For, I, I get it, but no thanks, you know, mm. or something like that. You know, mm. I mean, just behave like mature adults mm. and move on. Mm. But uh, anyway. Chopping and changing a bit, Mel puts a good distinction in here. She says transgender people don't just decide to be a different sex, whereas the implication is that this woman decided to become uh, Maori. But don't you think Maybe. her decision to become Maori happened mm. over a long period of time after mm. being married to her Maori husband? Yeah. But Mel's saying there's a distinction. She's I, saying I, that I there's a decision-making that, process where the other one is inherently... Yeah, you I just, understand uh, where Mel's coming from, mm. but 
mm. with the Maori thing and that sort of stuff, I think mm. that she would have had to spend a fair bit of time thinking about it and that sort of stuff and deciding to be Maori. Now, I understand where Mel's coming from. You don't mm. just decide to be a different gender. You're born that way and all that sort of thing. Mm. But it's similar because you're going to have to go through these similar sorts of thought processes and all that sort of stuff before you decide to do it. Mm. Anyway, good comments. Um, right. Um, Paul, another one that you sent mm-hmm. was we were talking about Joel Fitzgibbon, mm-hmm. who is the member for Hunter, who came out and complained about the Labor Party's coal um, policies. And he was described as uh, right winger Joel Fitzgibbon. Mm-hmm. He didn't like the idea. He didn't like. Look, you didn't you like know, the terminology right wing. Yeah, and look, I know it's common terminology, mm. and it's been like that for forever. Mm. I mean, Paul Keating used to be described as a member of the right wing faction of the Labor Party, for example. Mm. Mm. I just think it um, it's it's terminology that's outlived its usefulness. To be honest, I think we have to move past this left wing right wing dichotomy. I, I think it's quite useless in terms of. Uh, giving a characterization of what the person stands for or, you know, their, their, their political ideology. I just think it's, it's so simplistic that it's, it's beyond useless. It gives the wrong impression because Fitzgibbon, he's not a right winger. He's a person who's standing up for the working class constitu- constituents of his electorate, mm-hmm. you know, the coal miners, mm-hmm. working class families. Mm-hmm. That's who he's standing up for. He's not a right winger, for mm. goodness sake. His position is he's, a hard one to describe on the coal more, issue. As it's whether more it's traditional, right. but he's a more traditional mm. Labor Party politician. You know yeah, what I mean? It's hard to know on this particular this particular issue could be seen both ways because on the one hand he is supporting big coal mining companies, and he's, his reason is to support the poor. Well, the working man he's, in the coal industry. He's supporting so. the employees of the coal mining companies. Yes. I don't think he yeah. gives a, a toss about Well, he's about saying the, that the, the coal companies. mining companies need to be supported in order to provide the jobs. That's for, right. Yeah, is what but he's I saying. But I don't think his, so, his heart so, is in the, so that, you know, the bank accounts of the, um, the, the people that own the yeah. companies. So that particular issue does have a right-wing, left-wing component to, to oh. it. But I, I don't know. I just find right-wing, left-wing to be a pretty good, quick, abstract concept of where somebody roughly sits and they could say, well, he's right wing except on this issue or he's left wing except on this issue. It's still far too simple. I mean, I I think Mm. you'd agree that the the left wing that that we grew up with, traditional Labor left wing politics, Mm. it's it's, a lot of it's just gone, you know. Mm. The left wing is almost unrecognisable to what it was when I was a young adult. Mm-hmm. And I just think this mm. left-wing, right-wing stuff is just bullshit now, to be honest. So what should we use instead? I think we have to uh, take the time to, to try to describe the political ide- you know, ideology or the, or the policies su- su- supported by that person. But, but you can't keep just listing people's... You can't do that all the time. It's too time-consuming. I know consuming. it's time-consuming. I know. It, well, we need other shortcuts. I just mm. think left-wing, right-wing is just useless. Mm. I think it's a handy shortcut, but um, so, I use it all the time. I know you do. Right. <laughs> so what would you describe Joel Fitzgibbon as then? A more traditional Labor Party type of guy, you know, standing up for the working class. What are his other policies? 
positions? I, I don't know, to be honest. Then you wouldn't know where he sits. That's all right. I, so, I know that I know that he supports the working class constituents of his electorate. Mm-hmm. That's allegedly what he's elected to do. I mean, right, not right, based on that to. one policy. No, I don't think it's based on that one policy. But right. he does see a, a, a danger in uh, mm-hmm. what's the name of the shadow minister for? Is it environment or energy? Uh, the the guy from. I think he's from South Australia. Because Fitzgibbon wants him out, wants him replaced, because right. he reckons he's too far left, right. too radical, wants to uh, shut down the the fossil fuel industry too quickly, yeah. which would be very, you know, it would cause great dislocation. So he's got a right-wing view on climate change. It's not right-wing, though. Okay. I mean, most people would just say it's sensible. You know, he doesn't want to see thousands and thousands of people. What's sensible to one person is is illogical to another. Yes, obviously. So, and, that and, goes without saying. Yeah. And what about the thousands of people employed in tourism that are going to lose their jobs because of... Um, climate change. Well, that's an assumption, Joe. That's mm. not. I, I think it's mm. fairly given with the predictions. Uh, well, that's really, I don't know. But, well, that's, huge the, that's, the, that's the counter argument, though. So, um, the, the counter argument is that coal is is a dead end as an industry, and it's quickly, uh, you know, losing business. It is, and that yeah. uh, it doesn't actually employ that many people in the scheme of things and it's being overtaken by things like solar panels. So, um, Good luck with that. And, so, and if 20 years ago we'd funded clean energy, yep. we'd have been a world leader exporting and we'd have millions so, of jobs. So, you know, there's a lot of jobs putting solar panels on houses and solar farms and arguably uh, that's where if he was really concerned about... <sighs> The future welfare. This is an argument. Yeah, you can right. you can grunt and moan, but this is the counter argument: is that that coal is a dead end. Um, the companies that are involved in coal are going broke, and that he really should be looking at the alternatives for well, his. Maybe he should. Maybe he mm. should. But mm. you know, that's his position. To describe mm. him as right wing on the basis of trying to defend the jobs of his constituents, I think is a bit rich. Mm. Um, in the chat room, Dice Straight says, was there a difference found f- for the difference between conservative and right wing? I don't think we ever found a difference. Yeah, look, I, Dyer Straits I was on a little one. bit busy so today. We didn't get that one done. <laughs> um, in Crikey, they sort of made the argument that I've just stolen from them that I just mentioned, and they say that Peabody, the world's largest coal producer, has revealed it's facing bankruptcy again for the second time since 2016 in the face of slumping coal revenues and massive debt. Mm. They've already slashed jobs at New South Wales and Queensland mines and suspended operations and now concerned that taxpayers will be left on the hook for the cost of remediating the Peabody mines. So, um, But look, coal looking, is not going away in the next five years or ten years or even 20 years. No, I think it is going away in the uh, next 20 China years, Paul. And, China and India are still building coal-fired... Um, well, coal companies place. are going bust, is what Peabody is going bust. Uh, two companies, Stanwell and CS Energy, who own two-thirds of Queensland power stations, just reported losses uh, of $240 million for Stanwell and $76 million for the smaller CS Energy. This was driven by the fall in the weighted average price of electricity in Queensland by a third, from $80 to $53, ruled on by rooftop solar and things like that. So... So 
these are businesses that are... I was out at um, one of those power stations last year, mm. and they were saying historically middle of the day was their peak time. They couldn't do any work mm. um, because they were full output running air conditioners. Right. And they said now with rooftop solar, um, the middle of the day is their uh, maintenance period. Right. There we go. Because, yeah, complete reversal in, mm. in um, mm. trend. Good. Anyway, and also, um, you know, banks are not lending to coal companies and all the rest of it as well. So, right. Uh, the writing is on the wall for the industry. It's going to die, but it's not going to die very quickly. And if we bury our head in the sand, then maybe we can put it off a bit more well, to it's, somebody else's problem. Yeah, exactly. It, it's, it's going to die. I don't know how long it's got, but I would have thought 20, maybe 30 years before it's dead. Maybe. Now, India is, is yes, building coal-fired power stations. However, they're also building a hell of a lot of um, wind turbines, which are going to produce electricity at zero cost and that sort of stuff for a very long time. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, that coal, coal is wonderful and, you know, we should keep keep burning coal. Not at all. It's, well, the it's National dirty. Party thinks you should. Sorry? The National Party thinks we should. Yeah, well, I'm not a member of the National Party. <laughs> but, I mean, we know that coal, mining it, burning it, creates, it actually kills people, probably mm. hundreds of people every year. Um, I think we should build some nuclear power plants, for goodness sake. They're why would, compact. Why would we risk nuclear when we can generate enough solar? You say risk. I'm not sure why you say use risk because of the risk of of what of a Japan style disaster, we're not going to build a second generation from, from, power plant from, like they did in Japan, and we're not going to from, build it on an earthquake zone, are we? Uh, and because our government is so good at at regulating stuff, we um, can trust guys like the Morrison government to make sure it's done properly. Is Morrison that what we're government. Uh, are not the engineers that design and build it. So I think, yes, we can have confidence in our engineering. See, five years ago, I would have agreed with you, Paul, but the cost has come down so much in renewables now that there is no longer a cost benefit to going to nuclear. Mm. Well, there there are other benefits. Such as? Such as we don't have those... Ugly wind turbines all over the countryside. We don't have acres and acres of our arching wind vanes as they traverse. Ugly and stupid-looking monstrosities. They deface the landscape. They deface the landscape. They're listening to Alan Jones far too much. It is not. Spare me the Alan Jones slur. I never ever listen to Alan Jones. Okay. You sound exactly like Alan Jones. No, I don't. This this is exactly his argument. He says you've got to get rid of these ugly turbines. They are ugly. I've always thought they were ugly. Why? Because they're ugly. Why, why would I think they're ugly except that they're ugly? That's, mm. that's a, an aesthetic judgment that I've always made. I've always thought they were damn ugly. Mm. And they're not very efficient. They don't produce that much power either. If you want to get power from solar panels, you've got to mm. literally cover the countryside with the damn things. They last 20 years and then you, they go into landfill. Where, where are you I'm, getting this from? Oh, you know this is true. No, I don't. Of course you do. 
Solar is increasingly a, a, a viable option. That's, You've got to cover the, half the damn countryside in, so, in solar part, panels. Part, no, part of our problem is we sometimes have too much power. Yes. Like we're mm. putting too much power into the system, into lines that are not designed to, to get so much power. That's, that's part of the problem. Like we've got countries now that are saying on certain days they're getting 100% of their power from solar. Terrific. South Australia. So, so your argument doesn't stand up. Yeah, but where, what, what sort of uh, installation are they getting that power from? These but, 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 big things no, that no, come under rooftop. But, but the point is, and we're only just beginning with solar. Like only we've just a, beginning. We've still got a long way to go in terms of developing the technology. In terms of adding, in terms of just adding solar panels to houses and creating solar farms, we've got a long way to go. Don't still. get me wrong. I think putting solar panels on rooftops is a terrific idea. What about to- solar farms? Solar farms are terrible. Why? Because they, they destroy the landscape. They're just on a pole above the ground. Yeah. Like, what about like, the animals that used to live there? What are they going to do? Well, do you say that about the coal industry that we, you just supported? I am not supporting the coal industry. I'm supporting working people who need a job. Well, the coal mines are already there. So They're already working. Actually, Fitzgibbon on, is just trying to keep them in a job that they already have. Unemployment. I was just watching Briz Science last night. I'm digging this out. There was a thing about growing biodiesel using algae. Yeah. And they said if we built uh, biodiesel plants in northern Australia, so all we need is a source of water. It doesn't have to be clean yeah. water, yeah. sunlight, and mm-hmm. close to transport. Mm-hmm. We'd be saving ourselves $2 billion a year in diesel that we're buying from offshore, we create 89,000 direct jobs and 400,000 indirect jobs. Terrific. And then you burn it and you create air pollution. Yeah, but it, it's not um, carbon dioxide that is fossil fuel. But, Paul, the beauty about Sorry? If anything you burn is going to create yeah, but, carbon dioxide. Yeah, yeah but it's, got it's, got it's your... carbon that you've already trapped. You've trapped recently... You've trapped it to create the to create the de- to create the algae. I that thought goes we into wanted to reduce the amount. No, of no, no. We want dioxide. to reduce the amount of um, fossilized carbon that's in the ground. Only fossilized carbon. We don't care about current carbon. So really? if you cap, yeah, if you capture the carbon and reuse it, that's fine. Oh. We just don't want any more additional carbon being introduced into the atmosphere. I would have thought it's the less it. the better. No, but then but. The, the additional carbon, the additional carbon that Joe's talking about is you capture it by creating the algae and that sort of stuff. You grow the algae and then you create, then you convert yeah, look, that into I, I, Of course, I've heard of this kind of technology before. This is not particularly new, but um, I just... You know, if we're if we're switching to electric power, terrific. I think that's that's a wonderful uh, advance, and the most efficient way of generating nuclear power so far devised by humanity is nuclear power. It's compact, the fuel is very very dense, you know. And for goodness sake, all these people that are scared of oh yeah, but what about the waste? We've got a massive country. You dig a few, you know, uh, secure facilities to store it. It's not a problem. We're geologically stable, you know. I mean, and we've got all this fuel in, in the ground in Australia anyway. We're so well set up for nuclear power. It's just a joke that we're not using it. It's just I, ridiculous. Arguably we're so well set up for solar power. We are, except for the disadvantages of solar power. You need a big, you know, acreage to build one of those farms. and. No. We have we, we, that's, that's of, our advantage. We've got lots of empty space. Of yes, yes, but <laughs> got, plenty of desert. Got, the natural environment has inherent value we, of we, its own. But we can put it in places where the natural environment is not that Ugly, special. such desert. Yeah, but where? 
out, in the desert. Out in the, the desert, desert <laughs> is special, yeah. Scott. You may not like it, but, uh, you know, there are a lot of critters living out there that love it there. Okay, we'll move on. <laughs> Paul, you had another one. Because we're just going to go around and circle. We're going to just go around and I'm not... No, I'm not, no, no, it's all right. Yeah. I, I, I'm happy to move on. Yeah. I'm sick of this topic. Yeah. <laughs> Because you've lost. Another, another, <laughs> another one that... I don't think anyone's won or lost. No, it's you've just made a your, difference of opinion. You've, you've made your point, and we'll just... Yeah, we've each made our that's point. That's all right. We'll now let the listeners make their assessment, and and we'll move on. Um, you said another one, Paul. Good. Uh, uh, chief scientist. Australia's next chief oh, scientist right. will that be renowned one. physicist Cathy Foley, who will mm. commence her appointment in January. Yep. Dr Foley is currently the chief scientist at CSIRO, and she's quoted as saying... Um, well, and in the face of uh, changing climate and more extreme floods and bushfires, she said Australia must recognise and harness the know-how that's been here all along. Quote, there's a huge opportunity for us to really dig into Indigenous scientific knowledge and learn from the tens of thousands of years of understanding of sustainability. We've been pretty arrogant not recognising what is there for us to learn from. I would hope that we get to a point where we will have an Indigenous Australian chief scientist in the future. Come on, give me more than that, Paul. I mean, it's just so woke, isn't it? Right. You know, I mean, she's she, she's got a terrific job. She's a scientist. Mm-hmm. And she seems to think that, you know, the, a person's heritage is what counts to become chief scientist. I hope we have an Indigenous. It doesn't matter if it's Indigenous, you know, Chinese, German, who cares? As mm. long as they're doing a good job, mm. surely we 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 put people in job in positions like this it, it implies, to do a job. It implies that only an indigenous scientist could truly understand indigenous scientific knowledge. Yeah, it's um, stupid. Or gain access to it that might be unavailable I mean, to a does white. It, or is it just a hope that? the Aboriginal people who were marginalised for years will one day reach a, a lofty position? I th- no, I think it's the former. I think, okay. it's, I think it's, it's saying that there's this knowledge here Yeah, I, I, and we've been pretty arrogant not recognising what is there for us to learn from. I, I, th- I, I see it as being a gaining of knowledge rather than a, an equality issue, the way it's framed. And, and when she talks Sorry. about well, thou- say- tens of thousands of years of understanding sustainability... We know that's not altogether accurate, is it? What about the megafauna? Daniel's agreeing with you. Keep going. Yeah, so um, in Canada I've seen that there has been this traditional ways of knowing are just as valid as science. And whilst, yeah, they have been here for a long time and there are things we can learn from them, they still need to be tested scientifically. So we can learn from their trial and error, which is a form of science, Mm. um, but test it and validate it. I don't think we should just be accepting it as this is traditional knowledge, therefore it is correct, which seems to be a common modern way of thinking. But couldn't you see? Couldn't you achieve that from a non-indigenous scientist doing that? Oh, absolutely. Mm. See, then I think that you know, mm. I understand where Paul's coming from there when mm. she's saying we've got to get an indigenous scientist. Mm. Yeah, I, I, it, 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 it's I sort of saying what out of all the disciplines. The one that is completely colourblind should be science, shouldn't yes. it? Yes. Wouldn't you yeah. think? But, but uh, I think also we could hope that um, anybody could reach that position no matter where they come from. Absolutely. I agree wholeheartedly mm. with you that they've but, got to be able to get that position regardless of where they come from. Yeah. Mm. But surely that goes without saying, doesn't it? Mm. I mean, I think she's mm. just virtue signalling, honestly. Mm. It goes without saying. Of course, all of us 
Yeah, we'd love to see an Indigenous person reach Prime Minister. Why not? But it goes without saying that it, all those jobs are open to everybody in a country like Australia. Mm. That's why we love secular liberal democracy, mm. isn't it? Because the opportunity is there for anyone mm. to reach any position, no matter how high or well, low. At first place, you say it'd be good because it would be proof that at least the system works to create equal opportunity, is what you'd think if you saw an Indigenous person in that position. Mm. But it's not necessarily the case because who knows, that Indigenous person may have had a very privileged lifestyle that is unavailable to a poor tr- working-class trash at the back of Ipswich. Careful. So you just never know what the circumstances are based on skin colour. Yeah. That's the Look, whole point. I've so, seen these wankers on right. programs like The Drum. You know, right. I, I saw there was this young female, uh, she, she, she identified as an astronomer. Yes. And she, was, and she also identified as Indigenous, even though she, she, she looked like most of her heritage was from, you know, the other side of the planet. Right. Um, <laughs> And she was talking about how wonderful Indigenous astronomy is. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? Yeah, they used to watch the stars and obviously they, they had their own systems of, of, of tracking the stars. You know, they, they named them and they probably had certain cultural events uh, linked to the, you know, the cyclical nature of the mm-hmm. movement of the stars and, and all that's wonderful. But mm-hmm. to call it astronomy is a bit of a stretch. Mm-hmm. Astronomy is, is a lot more than just you know, mm. watching the stars at night and mm. giving them names. Mm. Anyway, Paul, on, on this issue, <laughs> we probably tend to agree with you. Oh, good. In the chat room, Daniel and Bronwyn don't, but that's okay. All <laughs> right. <laughs> really? Okay. They don't, I don't think. So they're more, they like Joe's earlier comment. I, I think uh, it was a misreading of um, whether it was... A, the- a matter of equality or whether it was a matter of... Yeah. Um, yeah. So okay. anyway... Um, U.S. employment, uh, I was just going to make the point that uh, a lot of people when they're talking about Trump talked about in at least America's unemployment was low, but there's a story here that says, uh, yeah, there were more jobs, but they were real shit jobs. So um, 44% of U.S. workers employed in low-wage jobs that pay a median annual wage of $18,000. Jesus Christ, how the hell do they survive on that? By having two uh, or three jobs. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. The median hourly wage, $10.22 per hour. Ten twenty-two, yeah. And they're complaining. It's, yeah, 53 million Americans are on that. Uh, so there we go. Six out of ten workers say their jobs are mediocre to downright bad, and that's mm. for positive Americans. So that's how bad they are. Sad, isn't it? Mm. We talked about property developers and political donations once mm-hmm. before, you know, recently, because it came up. What was the story about? There was uh, a situation where Deb Frankington was yes. at a, um, div- at a Liberal Party dinner and that mm-hmm. sort of stuff, and there were property developers there and there was cash flowing into the Liberal Party. Which was not from property developers or not proven to be, but from other people who were at this meeting, etc. Anyway, we're talking about property developers now, how risky it is to let property developers donate because mm. um, corruption's rife. If you've got a block of land and you get it rezoned into something, that's where you make your super profits. And mm-hmm. um, so they're just a category that we don't want donating to political parties. Mm. And we've got laws, like in Queensland, saying you can't. And the bloody... While in the last few weeks, the federal government, with the backing of Labor, 
passed laws um, to weaken political donation laws. So a new law passed in the federal parliament allows property developers to ignore state laws banning them from making political donations where the donation is for federal purposes. So what we have now is property developers in Queensland could make a donation to the federal Liberal or federal Labor Party and that would be okay. And, of course, the local branch in Queensland would go, well, that's good, that's $15,000 that we now don't have to transfer across to the federal guys um, and just achieve the same purpose. Mm. It's just criminal that... These assholes in the federal government, Liberal and Labor, have passed laws. It's only criminal if it's illegal. It's, it's almost like we need a federal ICAC. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot believe that they both just backed that. Yeah, your, your beloved Labor Party Indeed. also supported this corruption. Indeed. Sad. Call them out. Where you see it, call it out. Absolutely. It's very disheartening. Yeah, it is. Um, have you brought this up at your branch meeting? I haven't been to a meeting. <laughs> At all? No, I signed up just before COVID. Oh, right, and yeah. So, and but I wanted to physically go to them and, them and just, you know, I've had a lot on my plate between this podcast and the Noosa Temple of Satan. I've been a busy boy, okay? So just cut me some slack. But um, um, that was a good comment, Joe. Hey, um, we're drinking beer tonight from... Uh, Captain Doomsday. Thank, thank you very much, Captain Doomsday. Thank mm. you, Captain Doomsday. Yeah. We're drinking a Byron Bay Brewery beer, and it is very nice. So yeah. thank you very much, Captain Doomsday. Good on you, Captain Doomsday. I've got a mental image of you in your bunker, <laughs> and uh, it's much much appreciated. And um, yes, and for those who appreciate Joe's comments, Joe, you don't drink beer with us. What are you drinking? You're just having Coke, or you're having Coke and rum, or what's no, your? No, no, no. Your... I left the rum behind. Right, but rum and Coke is your usually. Yeah. Yes. Okay. If you like uh, Joe's comments and you want to keep coming, um, we're looking for rum and Coke sponsors as well as beer sponsors. <laughs> so there you go. Um, before Christmas, let us know. Go to the website and you'll see a donation link for beer sponsors, one of the tabs at the top. So um, feel free to click on that and do what you need to do. So we're looking some property developers to sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Well, there's no, nothing, no legislation that podcasters can't receive donations from property developers, yeah. is there? Yeah. Um, let's talk a little... How, what's the time? What are we up to? Uh, 8.28. Oh, we'll only be going an hour. We've got time for this, I think. China. You went to a talk. I did. Talk man about did. China. It was the, uh, what did they call it? I've forgotten the, the name now. But it was in uh, the Tivoli Theatre, the old Tivoli Theatre in the Valley in Brisbane. And there was an academic, uh, a guy who has his own consultancy firm uh, advising people doing business in China and a young Chinese national who can't return to China because she says lots of critical things about the Chinese government and she's a some sort of journalist come scholar and it, it was very interesting actually and um, I, I told told the blokes before we started recording but basically the the take-home for me was that the Communist Party of China and and the government is not a monolithic block and it's quite, um, you know, there's a lot of different people in the Chinese Communist Party. It's something like um, 90 million, the membership, 90 million Chinese out of 
what is it, three point, uh, 1.3 billion? Or so there's some variation in the enforcement of ideas. Is well, that what they're saying? they made the point that it's not just Xi Jinping. Now, obviously, mm. he has an inordinate amount of power, mm. but uh, they said to get things done in... Uh, you know, there's a lot of people pulling levers in the Chinese governing system. You know, it's not just Beijing. There's a lot of mm. people in the provinces, in various branches, various levels, uh, getting things done. And they also said that, you know, if... For example, Australian consumer goods being exported to China were blocked at the behest of the you know, Central Committee or Xi Jinping or whoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, we shouldn't assume that the consumers of China are, are happy about that or welcome that sort of thing mm. or that it's, you know, it's, it's obviously... Like any consumer who misses out on their favourite yeah. gadget or yeah. product. And, and, and obviously they made the point that, you know, we have to be very careful to separate our criticism of the, of the government mm. and the people. Obviously, mm. we're, none of us are well, against the people of China. Mind you, though, if a story is sold to the Chinese people that the Australians are being bastards yes. and disrespectful of mm-hmm. us, then they would easily change sentiment of the Chinese they might. consumer. They might, but mm. we, sh- we also If they appeal to the nationalism of the yes, Chinese. Yes, that's right. We yes. shouldn't assume that they all um, mm. necessarily agree with their government any more than mm. we do. Mm. But, um, um, but... They'd certainly be susceptible to a nationalistic propaganda. Mm. The, the young woman speaking, she said that when she was... She said she was born in 1993, I think. She's quite young and... Um, yep. She's, she's worked in the United States. I think she was working for the New York mm-hmm. Times. And she writes for one of the Australian publications. I forget which one. Right. Um, but she said when she was in school, she said the nationalism was pushed pretty hard. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's this, she said it's this idea that um, Chinese sovereignty, Chinese territory is to de- be defended at all costs. And that any threat to the integrity of the Chinese territory or Chinese sovereignty sovereignty is to be resi- resisted, you know, mm. and that's the big thing. They're also talking about red lines. They were talking about what is what is your red line, or what or what should be the Australian government's red line in in their relations with China. And one of the guys said he thought Taiwan, the defence of Taiwan's uh, liberal democratic. Um, political system should be defended. Mm. He didn't, didn't say how, didn't say, yes, we should be sending warships or anything like that, but just said that should be a red line for the Australian government is to defend the liberal democratic system that the Taiwanese people have. Mm. Okay, so at the moment we've got the Chinese um, customs authorities are threatening to block Australian wine, copper, barley, coal, sugar, timber and lobster. And uh, the way that they do this is instructions are given verbally to traders, many of them state-linked, and then disseminated through each industry. Phones and written notes are forbidden in these meetings. A written notice to unilaterally stop importing certain products would almost certainly be litigated at the World Trade Organisation. So these tactics achieve two things. Firstly, the verbal instructions become self-fulfilling. Traders become reluctant to import Australian wine sugar out of fear they'll be stopped at Chinese ports. The Chinese government can then label these actions as a matter for private companies. They're very clever. Mm. They're much more sophisticated 
in in a sense than the Western governments dealing with them. Yes, indeed. So, um, so that was from the an article in the Age in the Sydney Morning Herald, I think. Um, John Menadue from the John Menadue blog, former Australian head of trade, head of Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet, said the dispute with China was pointless and quite unnecessary. The damage to China is self-inflicted, led by our intelligence agencies and the media and followed by the government in order to ingratiate itself with US President Donald Trump, he said. The business sector is as quiet as church mouse over all the damage that is being incurred. There has been no smart diplomacy. The anti-China hawks are winning the day. John Menadieu. Don't you get the feeling John Menadieu is a little bit too pro-China? Now he's saying the Australian government self-inflicted what's happened, and I think he's dead right. I disagree. Yeah. Well, he's only the former head of trade and head of department of prime minister. Hey, hey, so, I'm only me. Okay, I'm the twelfth yeah. man. <laughs> exactly. So we'll let people weigh up your relative relevant credentials. Yeah, but that's uh, not to say uh, all former you know head people uh, uh, who've traded with China agree with uh, him either. Of, of course, but, you know... But John Minidou has not let us down very often in the past. He's let me down big time. <laughs> OK, fair enough. But, you know... On, on this, just now. No, regularly. I honestly believe that he's got a fair amount right here when it's said that, you know, followed by the government in order to ingratiate itself with US President Donald Trump. Mm. I tend to agree with that. He'll be gone soon. Mm. Sorry? Donald Trump will be gone soon, yeah. Yeah, but, but how much damage is he going to do? So we get another expert, just another opinion. Jeff Raby, he's got a new book out, China's Grand Strategy and Australia's Future in the New Global Order. So who's Jeff Raby? He's an Australian economist and diplomat. He served as the Australian ambassador to the People's Republic of China from February 2007 to August 2011. So that's not bad. Now bear this in mind, though, dear listener. He's now the chairman and CEO of Jeff Raby and Associates, a Beijing-based business advisory firm. Raby currently sits on the board of an Australian subsidiary of Chinese state-run Yanzhou Coal Mining Company. So these are always useful things to know. This yeah. guy's got, so he clearly has a conflict of interest. Indeed. He's, he's, you've got to look at this guy and go, okay, Australian economist, diplomat, Australian ambassador, all good. Four years of knowledge in China, great. Ah, he's working for a Chinese company. All right, I'll bear that in mind. Like these are, this is why you have to know who people are when they comment and what their background is and what their conflicts are. Mm-hmm. So this is why when I read a Spectator article or a Spiked article, I say, who is this person? What's their agenda? And I get, I get criticised for They're it. They're journalists, I get, for goodness sake. I get criticised for it. <laughs> They're just journalists. A lot of contributing writers to Spiked and to Spectator. Yeah. Well, Spectator, I'm not sure yeah. where all the, all the writers come from. Too. Yeah, but that, of... that guy that run that um, groom by-election, uh, run the groom um, pre-selection. He was Spectator, know, I he think. He was Spectator, yeah. Yeah. you know. Sorry? Who are you talking about? The guy that won the groom pre-selection. Yeah. Well, I can figure out what his name is. Yeah. So anyway, it's good to know the background. So you take all that into account. Of course it is useful. Mm. Yes, yeah. I agree. So, um, but he, um, so he's he's made some. Well, he was interviewed on Late Night Live with Philip Adams. So I've got some clips of of that. So I'm going to play uh, a few of these clips now. We'll just run through them. It has enormous power, enormous potential, but it's heavily constrained. It's constrained by 
its geography, uh, 14 countries on its border, 22,000 kilometres of land border to defend. Uh, it's constrained by its history. It's still an empire with unresolved territorial issues inside its border. Xinjiang, Tibet, Taiwan, we know about those. And now more recently, largely because of Beijing's ineptitude, Hong Kong. But more than anything else, China is constrained by its utter dependence on world markets for all of its energy, or nearly all of its energy, and certainly nearly all of its mineral resources like iron ore, to keep the engines of the economy going. And finally, you can't be a great power without soft power, without having a presence in the world that people wish to emulate or follow. And unfortunately for China, whilst its traditional culture is superb and recognised around the world, um, it, uh, its, its projection of soft power through CGTV, television and so on uh, has to be filtered through the narrative of the Chinese Communist Party. I'm so surrounded by a lot of other countries, a lot of borders, it has to trade in order to maintain itself and limited soft power, sort of what he was saying there. All good points. Yep. Um, uh, this part here coming up. While we may not like it, China is not threatening Australian security. No, exactly. And I mean, that's heresy it, to say that yes, at the moment. Absolutely. And, and that's, that's the problem with the current debate we're having in Australia. We're not even having a debate, basically. There's a dominant view that China has become an existential threat to Australia. But let me quote uh, Angus Hewson, the former head of the Australian Defence Forces, three weeks ago with the Guardian newspaper. He said absolutely clearly, China is not our enemy. China presents us with enormous challenges. It has different values, a different system of political and social organisation, but it is not threatening Australia. Disagree? Comments? Disagree, yeah. Okay. I mean, it's not that, I mean that's Angus Houston. Form, now, he doesn't have, as far as I know, any reason to... Uh, any conflict of interest that sure. would tip to say that. Sure. But yep. there are other high-ranking members of the Australian military who disagree with him. Yeah. It I does. mean, obviously, China China doesn't have ships on the horizon approaching yep. Australia. Yep. Yeah, but but it's not that... often you get a former Australian defence chief. Like, defence chiefs are into finding enemies. Like, mm. it's a hammer and a nail. If you've got a hammer, everything you see is a nail. Like, well, it's quite also... unusual for defence people to say... Nothing to see here in terms of an enemy. Exactly. Well, he, he also doesn't want to stir up animosity. You know, I mean, he's being diplomatic, at least partly, I would say. But yeah. I've, I've heard one uh, former high-ranking military person, Australian military chief, not chief, but, you know, high-ranking uh, officer, mm. say that he said within the lifetime of his grandchildren, China will become an existential threat. Does he work for an arms company now? He, he was talking about his military mm-hmm. experience uh, informing his assessment of the future. And Hugh White also. We know Hugh White. He's mm-hmm. one of the preeminent 
experts on defence in Australia, mm. he also sees China as the only real military threat in our future. I've got two more clips to play. I'll just play okay. another one because he's quite interesting, I think. Hang on, I'll play this one as well. Um... A big part of my book is about looking at China's security through the eyes of Beijing. And we have this weird view of the South China Sea issue. Sure, China has behaved badly, assertively. It's acted in disregard of international law. However, it's not about trying to stop things going through the South China Sea or the Straits of Malacca. China is utterly dependent on world markets for all the resources and energy it needs to survive. And all of that goes through the South China Sea and the Straits of Malacca, which can be shut down in a heartbeat by the United States. This is a major security vulnerability that China faces. And so it's so important, as Kevin says in that quote, to look at the world through China's eyes as well as our own. Yeah, they definitely have their interests, obviously, to protect. Mm. So when we see them building on these atolls, like then doing what they're doing, it, you can see it as a defensive measure. Yeah, you can. Mm. From their point of view. From their point of view. Because they're... But it's international waters, mm. you know. Mm. One final thing, because Taiwan's come up in the chat room. Uh, Daniel says, Taiwan's liberal democracy, which we don't recognise, go figure. And you said something about Taiwan... Being, in terms of should be a red line. Should be a red line. Mm. Yep, this is interesting just about Taiwan. It, it, it threats to Taiwan's um, yep. governing order should yep. be a red line. The, the good guys, Taiwan. Yeah. Just, this was interesting, I thought. One of the things that, that you write about in the book, which will come as a surprise to everyone, certainly comes as a, a surprise to me, in that uh, Jeff Rabie describes Taiwan as far more expansionist than communist China. What? As it makes the same claims as China to the South China Sea, as well as Mongolia, the Russian Far East, and uh, and much of uh, eastern Kazakhstan. Yeah, yeah. But that's Jeffrey, a holdover. That is astonishing. That's a holdover from yeah, the days. Yeah, and it's partly... Sorry. I make that point really just to remind people not to be ideological about this. Um, the democratic Taiwanese take a traditional Chinese view, which basically sees that the uh, boundaries of the Manchu Empire are the legitimate boundaries of modern-day China. The Communist Party doesn't do that. It's not about right or wrong. It's just to remind people not to look at these issues through you know, preconceived perspectives about right or wrong, communist, democratic. There we go. That's it for the clips. Well, whatever happened to values? I mean, in, in Taiwan, they have members of their government now who are um, gay. They've legalised gay marriage. Um, they're, they're so much more progressive in terms of their social policies than the communists. And that, that is important. Now, th in terms of Taiwan having the same claims over territory, that's just a holdover of the days when the, the nationalist government, you know, was the government of all of China. I very much doubt that if that form of um, liberal de democratic government in Taipei, uh, I, I can't see them, you know, making claims to the South China Sea or, um, you know, Parts of Russia, I don't know if you guys are aware, but the, the Chinese government has claimed parts of Russian territory in East Asia. Did you know that? Uh, 
like Vladivostok and places like that. I don't know if it was Vladivostok, but in you, that... You mean the current Chinese government yes, claims it? Or, yes, right. just recently, in the last right. few months, they've, they've, they've um, publicly aired this claim to mm-hmm. part of the Russian Far East. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I, I can't see the government in Taipei really pushing a claim like that. Well, they're just incapable of pushing a claim like <laughs> that. Like, of course they are. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you know, they're, they're a peaceful, fairly socially progressive... Um, yeah, government, and I think we should be supporting them. Mm. All right. Um, well, we don't even recognise Taiwan as an individual country. You know, we don't. No, we don't officially, but, but in practice we do. Let's face it, we in trade with we them. Do. Yeah. Mm. You know, we have two, you know, we go there and we visit, they come here. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I in my business I've taught probably hundreds of Taiwanese students. Mm. Mm. John Siemens has raised a very good point there. We there was never a resolution there was never a resolution to the civil war. We should not be taking sides. Oh of course we should be taking well, sides. <laughs> we take sides with the Liberal Democrats, Scott. I understand that. I understand that, but you know, I can. I would have thought that the solution to the civil war came when the Americans parked a carrier group between them and China. Mm-hmm. Well, they're not parked there anymore. I know they're not parked there, but they parked there to say to the Chinese, "This far, but no further." Yeah, that's that's. It was bad. many, many decades yeah, ago, but still, right. in all, it was something that was done, and it was... the Americans would no way park a carrier there now because the Chinese have missiles that would. It would destroy the carrier. Yeah, Make sure that. they're all Chinese. Sorry, so they're all Chinese. Mm. You said the Chinese wouldn't do this. Mm. They're all Chinese. Well, you know mm. who I'm talking about. Well, the Taiwanese and the Chinese—they're—they're they're, basically the same people. It's just a—it's a hangover of, of, like you said, yeah. you know, the civil war was never solved. Mm. All right. Well, that's just some interesting perspectives on China. I thought mm. so. Um, and seeing they all tended to agree with what I had been thinking, I thought I'd throw it in. But you're welcome to find counter-arguments, if you like, Paul. Got plenty. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of done, I reckon, with with um, what we've got on. Can I, I make one more comment yes. where it says, China is our partner, China is not our enemy. I'm sorry, they are not our friends. They might smile when they make official visits, but the Chinese communists are not our friends. The Chinese people may well be our, our friends. He says China is our partner. China is not our enemy. Yeah, it's a trading partner. Yeah. And That's to, what he says. But That's to say true. they're not our enemy uh, is... Well, what a, would he know? He's only uh, former Australian Defence Chief. Well, he's Angus entitled Houston. to his opinion and I'm entitled to mine. But they, yeah. the yeah. Chinese Communist leadership are definitely not our friends. Right, but they're our partners. Only in terms of trade. Mm-hmm. Our number one alliance partner is at loggerheads with our number one trading partner. That's where we're at. We should be tiptoeing carefully. Through a minefield, instead of putting Scott Morrison in charge with his herbal diarrhea. Yep, but where the bloody hell is he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, is he on holiday he's in Japan he? right at this moment? Oh, that's yeah. right, he is. Yes, oh, he's actually, on a, he's on an official mm, visit to Japan. Isn't he is, he? and as a result, they delayed releasing the information about the war crimes that we're going to hear about in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, yeah, until he gets back. Our special forces have been, well, not spe- all of them, but a few of them mm. have been behaving badly. So that sounds like it's going to be bad. 
It does sound like it's going to be bad, yeah. It's mm. going to be fucking terrible, actually. It's yeah. going to Let's not tiptoe around. It's going to be fucking terrible. Tarnish the image that we've been cultivated it's, of our forces of being always honourable in, exactly. in, the, going, ba- in the battlefield. It's yes. going to tarnish the. It's going to tarnish the entire reputation of the entire Australian Defence Force, mm-hmm. rather than just tarnishing the special forces who were. Involved. So I suspect that there's going to be situations where they had prisoners who they decided just because they had to move on, they just shoot the prisoner exactly. and move on. It seems that could be at least one of the instances. And yeah. I was talking to a friend of mine who's ex-Air Force, and he said, uh, Trevor, uh, the campaign in New Guinea in the Second World War, how many prisoners of war did the Japanese take? <laughs> Zero. Right. And Trevor, how many prisoners of war did the Australians take? Many. Zero. Oh, yeah, because they fought to the death. Yes. So, and do we go back to the diggers of Papua New Guinea and say, you bastards, you were executing guys and not taking them prisoner? Well, they didn't surrender. Well, not one of them. This is the point he was making, which we're going to come up with this thing of shooting prisoners and, and it's, all, it's going to be terrible. But I thought it was But the interesting... rules of engagement have changed a bit since the Second World War, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. But... I mean, they actually have been giving quite some thought to what is the appropriate behaviour, even in the battlefield. And mm-hmm. since the Second World War, I think a lot of people have decided that, you know, we can't just act like barbarians and just shoot whoever we feel like shooting. Mm. Well, that, that's the whole point. You know, we have evolved, I mm. would have thought, to Hopefully. know that you're not going to shoot civilians and that or type prisoners. of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, mm. these Australians, the, the, you can't even claim it's collateral damage or anything like that, like the Yanks do from the air. Mm. These Australians are on the ground. Mm. They the were point using has been small made. arms and that sort of stuff, so they clearly shot people. The point has been made that... Um, a lot of these soldiers have done quite a few tours of duty and that they do suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder quite frequently and that perhaps they should reduce the number of tours of duty that each of them gets mm-hmm. to go on because they said, you know, it's quite understandable that you, you see so much killing and so much death oh. that you just become numb to it. Mm. You know what I mean? You become... In, I don't know. It's. Mm. Um, I mean, I can understand why they would behave that way. I'm not saying mm. they should or, mm. or that it's acceptable. But I don't understand how they can behave that way. Really? I've got mm. actually... I've got more sympathy than you have by the sounds of it. Well, it's, I understand where mm. you're coming from and that sort of stuff, but I just think to myself, you know the difference between a civilian and a combatant. I, but quite and often, they just shot these people without arms and that sort of stuff, and just shot them. That's really it's callous. But, but they were also combatants who had surrendered. I, I think the problem is going to be uh, one of culture, and it's going to be a change from the top: more supervision, more um, vigilance as to what is going on in the field. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, a level of complacency that has allowed this to happen. It's just another reason why we shouldn't be in these theatres of war. We should just get out. So interesting, Trump sacked some defence guy and the defence secretary and saying, 
hurry up and pull the troops out. So that's one. It was the guy that he just sacked. You mean the uh, d- defense he, he secretary? Said, uh, he's, Esper. He's, he's, he is sack somebody, and the idea is he's saying to his replacement, "Hurry up and pull the troops out." Oh, I thought it was yeah, because he I think re- he's trying to leave a, um, a a legacy of having removed troops. Well, yeah. the yeah. defence secretary that he just sacked mm. had uh, when there were was it when there were riots? Uh, Trump wanted to use military troops right. on the streets, and, and he refused. And he refused. refused. Mm. Yeah. I think that's part of the reason Trump's active. I was talking to my Uber driver who was um, Pakistani, I think, and had a law degree and had just finished political science. And he was talking about the Americans needing uh, Taliban sort of Pakistani help to get Taliban agreement to allow the Americans to withdraw because basically withdrawing from these places is not that easy because... Mm -hmm. Once the enemy knows that you're going to be on the road and leaving, then they can just set up and start shooting you. So withdrawing really isn't that easy. You just can't say, everybody jump in a truck and let's get out of here. It's actually really dangerous and they're trying to negotiate with the enemy to say, just leave us alone while we get out of here. So that's that was interesting anyway, what perspective I got from my Uber driver. Mm. It just makes me wonder what's going to be left behind mm. when the Yanks do actually finally get out. Mm. You know, I I feel for the well, Af- for the Afghan, Afghan people, people. Yeah, they're particularly going to, for the women. Exactly, mm. they're going to end up reverting back to the whole bloody nonsense that they had to put up with under the Taliban. I listened to a, an interview with a British soldier who'd been a linguist in where's the British part of Afghanistan, as in where the British forces are serving. Uh, Kandahar, I think, mm-hmm. and was saying that um, effectively we've been suckered into a historical intertribal battle, uh, and and basically one tribe will go to the Taliban and go, "Give us arms. We believe um, in Islam. Islam is great." Mm-hmm. And so the other tribe will go to the Western Alliance and go, "Look, look, they're all Islamists. Give us arms." Yep. And it's just a thousand-year-old tribal battle that we've been pulled into. That is dead right. There's no solution. We should just get out of there. We can't solve that one. It's not up to us. Anyway. I I think the Soviets really cocked up when they invaded in 1980. Mm. Everyone who ever invaded cocked up. I was going to say the British invaded in the 1800s. Just a big mistake. Yes, for all invaders. You would think we'd learn a lesson soon. Right. Can um, we evacuate all the females, you know, mm. when we leave? Just leave yeah, men there? Yeah, no. You can't? No, I don't think so. I think mm. that would be a good solution, though, wouldn't it? Mm. Save all the women from mm. that d- disgraceful traditional society that treats them like cattle. Mm. Anyway, let's wind it up. Uh, that's very good. You know what? I forgot to press record, so I'm going to have to take the video of this and extract the audio <laughs> from it. So there we go. If the uh, if the audio didn't sound up to scratch this time, it was because we, I forgot to record the audio. We just do the whole show again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Welcome back, dear listener. Episode no. All right. All right. And, uh, and, and there were a number of comments about Zoom. Ah, uh, were there? And what happened? Did people come in? No, 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 no. Oh. Sorry, we were waiting for the invite people in. Yeah, nobody came in. Oh no, well, no. People were asking me to put up the. Oh, okay. Well. Sorry, I thought you would put it up. So. No, 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 no. I who's, was waiting okay. for the nod. Well, let's see. Is there anybody Scroll. there? Put it up now. Sure. 
What are these yeah. guys doing? Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's, well, we're not going away. We're just going to wait now and see if anybody wants to Zoom in and say hello. So um, while you're thinking about it and you're thinking of Zooming us, I will touch on one other quick short topic, which is, um, Paul, you didn't, we had an argument about authoritarianism. Mm-hmm. Like Daniel Andrews. Yeah, well, you as just, an example. Oh, well, I was talking about America as being authoritarian, and you're saying no, they're not. Yeah. And um, I was talking about their foreign sort of policies, etc. Oh, you and, were arguing and, and, that because they commit acts of uh, aggression against other countries, yes. that by definition mm. makes them authoritarian. That's yeah. not what it means. Mm. So we had an argument about that, but then, like you sent, uh, I don't know if it was on your Facebook page or whatever, but often Spectator talks about. Um, dictator Dan yep. and Tin Pot Dictatorships. Yep. Um, Victoria is one. Yeah. You think Victoria is a dictatorship? It has been for the last six or, six or eight months. You don't think dictatorship is a little bit of a strong word? It given, is. Given that it is a democracy yeah, and there will be is. an election. Obviously, that's tongue-in-cheek. Right. But he has stripped Victorians of mm-hmm. their, you know, m- one mm-hmm. of their most important civil rights, mm-hmm. and that is to protest against the government. Okay. When you lose that, what do you got right. left? I just thought it was odd that you sort of poo-pooed my use of authoritarianism, but you're happy to have the spectator using dictatorship in Victoria and seem to worry you. I just thought no, that it doesn't was worry me because not. everybody understands that it's, uh, it's used metaphorically. Uh, okay. All right. Um, what else have I got here from... Um, while we're waiting, Malaysia's former Premier Mahathir said when Muslims had the right to kill millions of French people for the massacres of the past. That was after the three people were killed after a knife attack in Nice. He is mm. a nut, isn't mm. he? I mean, he's so irresponsible. Mm. to say something like that publicly. He, he, I mean, he's entitled to think it. But, mm. you know, to say it publicly, I think that's where you've got to draw the line. Exactly. Sort of thing. You know, I always thought Mahathir was quite a sensible person, but clearly not. Mm. Um, Twitter said his message violated its rules and it removed the tweet. <laughs> so that was that one. Uh, what else have we got here? Uh, is anyone else just getting sick of Albanese? Like, when... When is he going to fight? Exactly. and He has to go. He has to go. You know, he's already he, been described on Insiders as dead man walking. Exactly. Mm. He's, you know, he is worthless, really. You know, he has not put up any sort of fight against the government. No. I understand there's a pandemic and all that sort of shit, but Jesus Christ, you've got to be able to start landing some body blows on them. Right. There's disasters going on in this government, left, right and centre, over mismanagement of money yeah. and uh, and mismanagement of our relationships with China. And just there's any number of easy blows to land here. He's doing nothing. Um in the chat room, Bronman said, evidence that Victoria is not a dictatorship has claimed by 12th. Andrew's attempt to extend the state of emergency a few months ago was knocked back in Parliament. Yeah, that's just one item, Bronman. Oh. I, mean, well, I mean, really. Dictators yeah. don't get knocked back in Parliament, though. No, so. but when, when you have the police, I mean, f- for one thing, they, they let the Black Lives Matter march, thousands of people march without... M- molestation from the police. And then when a, a few dozen protesters against the government show up, they mm. get the riot squad onto them. Mm. I mean, for goodness sake, it's, it is like a, the Tim Pot dictatorship when you mm. sit the riot squad onto, 
on a, a rabble of people who just want to go out and say we don't like what the government's doing. Yeah, get, let's get the riot squad right, out. Calm down, Paul. We've got James in the chat room. Here we go. So he's uh, just joining. All right. Hopefully, is he? He's in. Is, is it James? Are you there? Say hello, James. Hello, Trevor. Yes. James. Yes. Great. You're loud and clear, James. How long have you been listening to the podcast? Not tonight, but overall, like in months or years. Um, I started listening in, in July, right. and I've done the back catalogue. So right. <laughs> wow. When you say you've done the back catalogue, how far back? It's uh, far back uh, up to episode thirty. I couldn't for wow. some reason the website wouldn't let me. You have a job? Are you, like, <laughs> how, how do you find the time, James? <laughs> um, so don't tell my employers, but I do spend a lot of my time uh, listening to podcasts whilst I work. That's fantastic. That's good to hear. So what have you got to say, James? What, have you th- what are your thoughts? Um, I wanted to nail the 12 man's uh, um, opinion, if that's possible, mm. on the left and right and libertarians and progressives and that sort of thing yeah. and how it fits into the modern political discourse that we have now. Mm. I thought I read that you disagree. I thought you were saying left and right is no longer appropriate in the chat room. You think it is appropriate uh, or not? Uh no, not it doesn't. It's it's a it's a dichotomy that doesn't. It's not helpful in the way that the twelfth man says it's not healthy. But I also yeah. think that you're correct in the sense that it is easy to say, "Oh, he's left." That means he supports a large government and um, is willing to for government intervention. Yep. And whereas the right uh, want a small government, small L liberal sort of thing. Yes. Yes. And I just wanted to ha- know if the. Traditionally, well, that, that there's also a mix of economics and social values, sort of as well. Yeah. So, so th- that's where I find that it's not helpful in the sense that mm. you can't just like Joel Fitzgibbon, like you were talking about tonight. He is from the left in the sense that he is. Um, I, I, I don't want to reiterate what you've said before, so mm. I'll just say that he's not. He's anti-business in the sense that. Because the way that our parliament is structured, it's a it's an ad, like adversarial parliament. You can't the way that the parties fall, they have to like fall into the party line, so that they have to. He's any big business and pro the little guy, but now, but within his own party, he is on the right wing in the sense that he, in this, in much as climate change is a right versus left thing in this country, yes. he is on the right. He's on the right side of, of 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 the labour on that sense. Yep, yep. You know, I guess when, when there's complicated people, so you might have somebody who is economically right-wing but socially left-wing, for example. Yes. But then you could say they're economically right-wing and socially left-wing, and then you know what they're talking You've got a fair idea what they are. So economically right-wing, they're into free markets, low government intervention, uh, small safety net, Um but they are socially left-wing, so they're into marriage equality and voluntary assisted dying and, um, you know, free abortion laws sort of thing. So, you know, there are characters uh, like us, for example, who are a mixture of left and right on different issues, but I think you can still use left and right in a particular... That's my point. But that, you know, we're, we're all over the shop depending on what the issue is. And I just think it's too simplistic because mm. in, in the minds, I, you know, I'm assuming in the minds of a lot of people, when they hear the word right wing, if they're left inclined, 
that sets off a you know an alarm bell in their heads, and they go, "Oh, right wing. I don't like right wing." But you know but, what I mean. But, so but there's in, this. Okay, but increasingly response. Uh, but increasingly, people line up. James, you can disagree with me on this, but in, it's increasingly if somebody is right wing economically, they are right wing socially. It's just um, as people join a tribe, they are adopting not only the economic but the social norms of their tribe. Do you think... I don't think that's and, true. And anymore. the rare exceptions, the exceptions you can identify as, oh, here's an exception to that. But So, James, I'm putting words into your mouth. What, what yeah. else did you want to say? Well, uh, disagree. I, I agree to, to an extent in that if you're... Particularly if you, if you read The Spectator then you're definitely like columnists like Neil Brown. He's a, he's a small government. If, if he had his way, there'd be two guys in Canberra playing dice and deciding on budget. Yep. But if you like, if you're a Malcolm, Malcolm Turnbull of the world, then you're not necessarily, but, and the, the, as far as the, the spectator is concerned, anyone left of bloody, uh, sorry, uh, family podcast, uh, <laughs> no. anyone left of, anyone left of Christian Porter is a lovey and is not worth, not worth their salt. Yes. If you know what I mean. Yep. So there's that, that extreme right where they're socially, regressive and couldn't care less about the social safety net. Everyone should pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Yes. But whereas the rest of them, the mo- so the problem is that there's no moderate faction left in the Liberal Party. No, I think you're right there. Yeah. So Really? Uh, what about the- Simon Birmingham? I think he's pretty moderate. Yeah, he's, he's in the rump, isn't he? Like, name another moderate. He's a, he's a, a front bencher. Yes, but name another moderate front bencher. Um, help me, Scott. I can't name. <laughs> I can't name any, and that's precisely why I left the Liberal Party because there are no there are no moderates anymore. So you know, if, but that so doesn't that, make the Liberal Party necessarily right wing. You know, not really. Not really. I think that you've got to look at them socially and that sort of stuff. And their social program, their social policies are becoming more and more right-wing. I would describe them as conservative more, more than right-wing. Okay, well, then yeah, well, we had this argument before oh, where you couldn't give I me an example. I agree with Trevor on this, in this yeah. instance. Conservative is ipto facto right-wing. Disagree. But you couldn't give me an example, Paul, of something that was conservative but not right-wing or was right-wing but not conservative. Yeah, you couldn't, I haven't you done couldn't... that homework yet, sorry. Yeah, mm. sorry. Until Paul does his homework, that one's... <laughs> <laughs> The dog ate his homework on that one. Yeah. Any other comments or thoughts on left and right wing? Or uh, no, right. I just wish there was a uh, a party that represented the centrist. I wish we had a centrist party in Australia. So, do you think Labor is too left? Or do you think that they're also on the right and need to go more left to even reach the centre? Like, what you're you're feeling Labor is is too left? Is that what you're saying? My problem with the Labor Party is the union movement. As in controlling... Yeah, and the way that they funnel money into it. So so what policy of Labor do you think is too left as a result of, of the... Uh, union movement making them left. No, I don't have an issue with the f- 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 
for most of the Labor Party policies, I have an issue with the way that they come about. Right. With the with the way that the unions and the left and the right factions they they like the the left and the right. We have to have we have a left leader here, so we have to have a, a right wing uh, right faction deputy leader, and the way that everything it's, is sort of like managed. It's a more of a managed system. Yep, there's sort of a horse trading that goes on where each faction gets people at the table sort of thing. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. well, okay, there's that horse trading. But still, at the end of the day, though, I don't – you know, my problem is I don't think the Labor Party is left enough. Like, when you say you want a centrist, tell me – I don't think – it's so skinny, the policy difference between Labor and Liberal at the moment, I – I, where would the centrist fit in? It, I reckon it'd be if, the, so what if the Labor Party could win government, that'd be great. Yep. It's just for some reason there's no way. For the last fifty years, there's been uh, maybe between less than twenty years of Labor Party rule in this country. Yep. Uh, and they've done. And in that time, they've done some reason. They've dragged us into the 21st century with their social policies. Yep. But for some reason, they can't land an election. So, what I'd like is for the for the moderate faction of the Liberal Party to put their boots on and push out the radical right and bring the Liberal Party back into the centre. Right. I actually tend to agree with you there. I honestly believe that um, what they ought to do is they ought to declare war on the right faction and they ought to fight that. They should give up government for two terms and that sort of thing, but beat this not out of the right, and then after that they can say, well, now we're back in the centre and we're going to take, we're going to take government but, back. But it can't happen now because the membership has gone right. The, the Tea members, Party takeover by the Christian it, right it is, is already too late. Yes, I agree with yeah. you wholeheartedly. Yeah. And the only way to change and, it is from inside, isn't it? I mean, yeah. people with high, high levels of motivation and good values joining the party and changing it from inside like you're attempting to do with the Labor Party sometime in the mm. near future. Just, um, yeah. James, what's your objection to the union movement? Because... I've recently joined a union, and I haven't been a member, uh, member of a accountants union. accountants' union. No, I'm Professionals Australia. Right. But I joined them up six months ago, thereabouts. I, I don't have an issue. Sorry, I'll let you finish. No, you're right. Go on. I don't have an issue with them advocating for workers' rights. Yeah. I, I have an issue with the way the money is funneled into the Labor Party. So I guess my issue is with the way our electoral Donations laws allow um, body corporates to donate to political parties. Absolutely, yeah. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. There, I mean, so I, it, I, I think I, I think they'd be better off if you cut the if you cut Labor off from receiving contributions from the unions, you cut the Liberals off from receiving contributions from corporates and all that sort of stuff. I think that would be a hell of a lot better and neater. Yeah, yeah. and then I wouldn't have an issue with the Labor Party. Mm, yeah, that's fine. It's and you you raised that point before about the Labor Party not doing enough for business and that sort of stuff. I tend to disagree with you there because if you look at the uh, great neoliberal experiments and that sort of stuff, they were basically instituted by Hawke and Keating. Yes, so. uh, and so I may have misrepresented myself. Yeah, I, I don't have it. 
So Milton Freeman is not necessarily the winner-takes-all idea of neoliberalism is, we found out, pretty rubbish. Yeah, I and agree. There's there's definitely room for for an open market with the right level of regulation, mm. which I feel if the Liberal Party moved to the centre, they could find, whereas I feel... Do you think the Liberal Party is, is more able to reach the centre than the Labor Party? Is that what you're saying? No, I oh, don't. Okay. But I feel okay. like the Australian electorate is happier to elect Liberal governments. And if they were to move, I mean, it's an ideal world. It's not an ideal world. It's a, it's a fantasy or a utopia. Yes, yes. I don't know. I don't think there's any moving of the of of the Liberal Party in Australia or the Republican Party in America or the Tory Party in the UK to uh, uh, the centre. I think they're just going to get even harder. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I think that once, well, I think once they've been out of, once they've been out of office for a number of terms, then I think they're actually going to have to take a long, hard look at themselves and think, well, fuck, this isn't working. I think what? once the UK get their Brexit whatever you want to call Brexit, over and done with, the Conservatives in the UK will have a lot to a lot to think about as far as electoral positions. Mm. There's that, that so-called red wall up in the north where they uh, snatched all those seats from the Labor Party on a pure Brexit vote. Yeah, and once Brexit's out of the way, then, the, then I honestly believe a lot of those seats will turn back to the Labor Party, I would have thought. Mm. I don't know so much about the UK situation, but certainly Australia and America, I think that the membership of the party is so rabidly right and ideologically driven that they would rather lose an election than move to the centre. So they will demand hard right from their representatives and and their ideological ideologically driven that they won't accept a centrist position. That's my feeling. Do you seriously think Liberal Party members are any more ideologically driven than Labor Party members, Trevor? Yes, because they're religious. Religion is is just part of it. But the Labor Party members are just as ideologically driven. Nothing motivates as much as religion. And I I think these guys are are more driven, yes. I... With regard to party membership, I think that because there's, as a percentage of the population, it's flatlined if not declined, then as you're just going to get more and more devoted. I'll use if I can use that word in with terms to to ideology that are there those people that are devoted to their particular worldview. So there's no more. There's no longer a vast array of views that broadly identify with the party's values, you're getting a more concentrated version of that. Mm. So, and because Australians on the most part are disengaged from politics because the way that it plays itself out in the media, like with things like the bonk ban and sports rorts and um, uh, uh, pink bats, just to put, throw a label one in there, like all of these scandals that is, that the the news media throw at you for about two or three days, and then that's all the general public see on the six o'clock news with Peter Overton or whatever, whoever is the Channel Nine guy is now. Mm. There's there's no actual substantial policy debate. Like you're t- you're talking today about 
the the passing the, the amendments of the federal election laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched that parliamentary debate. Yes, I do work sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm beginning to doubt it, but uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it was the crossbench. There was, and every every time Zalid Zegels got up to speak, she had to draw draw attention to the the state of the house, and then they'd call a quorum. The the major parties would shuffle some guys in. They'd stand there for thirty seconds once the quorum was reached, and then they'd shuffle out. And then the next independent member would stand up and speak against the bill. All oh, right. So it was. It was. Yeah. It was just the crossbenchers that were against the bill. It was labour and yeah. labour and, and liberals and nationals were united in. Yeah. yeah. So when mm-hmm. they, they moved the amendments, they couldn't get anything done because they never had the numbers. And then when I didn't f- finish the debate, but I'm assuming when it went to went to, to be um, actually passed, it probably passed one voice and nobody mm. ever thought a second thought about it. Yeah. But, yep, appalling. As you were watching it, were you thinking, my God, are they really doing this? Yeah, and they, they went through each amendment line by line and it was just like, yeah, it, it just got tedious to watch. So who was the best speaker on the crossbenches? Who was the most compelling? Uh, Wilkie. Right. Okay, mm. good. He's pretty articulate, isn't he? Mm. he yeah. Is, mm. He's uh, he's one of the good ones. I agree. Mm. All right, James. Well, that's good. That's a good contribution. Anyone else in the Zoom that we need to know about, Joe? So, uh, Tom was trying to join us, but right. he's uh, dropped out. I think okay. he was going to try okay. jumping back in. All right. So, um, John, are you going to try again if you're there? John in the chat room has said... Um, can I suggest next time you let us know at the start some of the subjects you're going to take on? Um, uh, blah, blah, blah. Looking for a bit of a uh, heads up. It's a moving feast, John. It really <laughs> does change at the last minute to some extent. But, um, okay, I'll try and put a little list out on Facebook if I get the chance. So, yeah. So, well, James, we might bid uh, farewell to you and thank you for your contribution and... Well done in catching up on so many episodes. Now, you said you could only go back to episode 30 and you couldn't get earlier than that, or is that what you're saying? Hang on, sorry. I've muted him and now won't let me unmute. Uh, James, you've been muted and we're trying to <laughs> unmute you. So, Oh, it did something. Uh, let's, there, we there we are. Okay, you're there, you're uh, back. So I would download the MP3 file and then listen to it on double time. So when I was on the website, I would download it, and I wasn't. That's why I got through it so quickly. Right. Um, uh, those files were corrupt, and they wouldn't download. Ah, uh, this is from th- earlier than than thirty was corrupt. Yeah. Wasn't it? Okay. All right. I'll look at that and see what the and, story and, is. And I, I only spot check one or two after thirty, so it might have just been the first couple that weren't. I just didn't want to go through and check all of them. All right. I'll I'll have a look at that. Thanks for letting me know. So, well done. All right, James. Sorry. Well, we're going to say farewell to you. Uh, thank you for that, and and welcome to join us next time. But what? Because you, you, you're in, uh, you've got a, quite a good sound coming through there. Have you got a good microphone or something? Are you, what are you yes. using? I've got a Razer gaming headset. There you go. Oh. Okay, you've come through loud and clear. Well done. <laughs> All right. Thanks, James. Goodbye to you. Right. Thanks. Talk Bye. to you next time. Thanks, James. Thanks, James. All right. Have All right. we got Don in the waiting room? Don. Yeah. Hang on. Okay. It's Don, not John. Is that right? Correct. Hello. Oh, Hello, here we are. Hello yeah. Don. Yes, morning. Hello, we can hear you, Don. Welcome aboard. Oh, very good. 
Are you a long-time Hello. listener? How long have you been listening to the podcast, not as in tonight, but like uh, months or years? Um, well, Joe got me into it a couple of months ago, so I've sort of been listening sort of on and off when I get the chance to because I, I drive for a living, so I tend to listen to a lot of podcasts. Okay. And he's got me on to, with, with all this, with all, what I now call malarkey virus, Yep. Um, because of all the craziness going on in the world, there's a lot of these Zoom calls going on, and I'm finding more and more of them. And it's a really good way to communicate with people that you normally would have no communication with at all, just because they're either from the other side of the planet or in a completely different reality. So, yep. Um, normally, I find politics to be utterly dull and tedious, but you guys do it in a way that I'm, I'm wrapped every episode, every <laughs> podcast. I can't wait for it to start because I'm always guaranteed to learn something because, yeah, it's just, um, yeah, it, it's these whole Zoom call things are very cool. Very good. Um, and so, yeah, so, and especially with the uh, presidential one last week, I learned more in an hour and a half than I've probably learned in six months. Oh, that's good to hear. Really? That's good to hear. So, so very good. So, any particular ideas that we've come up with that you disagree with or uh, thoughts you want to share, Don? Um, no, I don't know enough to disagree with anybody, really, so I'm sort of still learning as I go. All right. Because, we... with, yeah, with politics, I have a very little knowledge base of, of politics at all. Okay. So, yeah. so, you're a driver for a living. Are you, are you like, uh, crossing the border with it? A... With a truck? Is that what you're doing? Uh, yeah, I did last week. Right. And we had to go and get a – because I was picking people up from Ballina, which is about, uh, about, about, about an hour and a half south of the Queensland-New South Wales border, yep. I had to go and get one of those temporary pass things. Yep. And it was, it was so easy. It took like a minute to do it. Mm. And the only reason I even got pulled over was because I'm in a stretch limo. I had eight people in the car. And they all they and all it is is they just see the bit of paper on your windscreen, wave you through, and so they put me into the second lane. All I did was I just drove down the second lane. The cop and the transport guy come out, ask people who they were, and waved us through. So, is your business so, driving a limousine? I drive it. Yeah, you know, I drive for a limousine company called Blackbow Chauffeur, but at the moment I'm primarily driving a ten seater stretch limousine. Yeah, right on the Gold Coast or Brisbane. Everywhere. Because right. um, I saw somewhere uh, where that business had basically collapsed because there was so no, little travel. No. Well, well, the thing is, we did, we did collapse um, pretty much in March and April. It was, there was no work. It was, I mean, March. Put it this way, yep. to put in perspective, from December, January last year, this year, making between two and a half and four and a half grand a fortnight, which when I get paid, um, and then going to March, I made $500 for the month of March. I made nothing in April. Yep. Now I'm back up to making, um, yeah, again, between 1500 and two grand a fortnight. And is that, rely- is, say- is that relying on I- interstate travel? Is that relying on travelers who are? Um, well, yeah, before, before coronavirus, 80% of our work was to and from the airport. Absolutely. Now, um, it's mostly fly-in, fly-out people. Um, there are some people now that are going back to work, but it's all intrastate travel. So it's people who are working in, say, Rocky or Cairns or Mount Isa um, or Weep or stuff like that. There's there's almost no interstate travel. 
and there's there's well there's there's no international travel except for um, military people and stuff like that. Okay, so when um, I think fly in, fly out, I think of guys in a high vis vest and steel cap yeah. boots. Yeah, please tell yeah. me they're not climbing into a stretch limousine. <laughs> oh no 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 because they're they're using they're, they're travelling with us. Um, with our other vehicles in the fleet, because right. we're a right. we're a limousine company slash transfer company, so right. we have two stretch limos, we have three or four vans, we have a couple of Jaguars, we have a Land Rover Discovery Sport. Um, yeah, okay. so we have right. we have about a dozen vehicles in our fleet. No, no, these okay. these fly fly people aren't jumping in my ten seater stretch and going take me to the Gold Coast, please, sir. No, all right, okay, they're, they're, because they they get they get an allowance. Of how much you're allowed to spend to buy the company for when they're flying in and flying out. Yep. So um, we got a couple of the guys who we actually discount our price for because they're regulars. They travel every fortnight. So yep. we we knock say because they've got a budget that they've got to stick to. So instead of say charging, for example, we got one guy for example. We got two or three guys live in Toowoomba, and one guy in Toowoomba who's one of these fly in fly out guys is normally. Say, for example, it's normally $500 to travel out there with us. They knock it back to 400 because that's what his budget is because he travels every two weeks or every four weeks or something. Right. So by knocking it back a little bit, he uses that money that they give him per trip to travel with us because he likes the service. Yeah. And, and and he's a lovely guy too. Most of our passengers are really nice people. So you don't um, – um, so you uh, listen to the podcast when the car's empty and you're just in between jobs. Is that yes, correct. Yeah, right. yeah. Like, like for okay. example, um, I was talking because I know Joe quite well, and um, and we were talking, and I was coming back from um, from the Novotel up at Twin Waters because I, I I drove. I live in Chermside here in Brisbane, and I drove up there to pick up a group of ten kids because yeah, ten seat eleven if they sit, one sits in the front, but yeah, ten kids took them from Sunrise Beach to the Twin Waters and then drove home again. So while I was driving home, I stopped and fueled up, did the usual rigmarole. Um, for example, right. tomorrow... And caught up I've with got, us. I've got... So, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yep, so yep, once I got home... Yep. But if I had been driving back at, say, 7 or 8 o'clock tonight, I would have pulled over, I would have linked up to the to the, the podcast and listened on the way home. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. So, Very good, Don. Hey, uh, that's good to hear that uh, business is back to sort of normal because I, yeah. I was just watching the it's news a, tonight and they were saying how a lot of the movie studios on the Gold Coast were now basically booked up yeah. for the next 18 months solid. So yeah, yeah. this was yeah. one of the arguments I had with you, Paul, months ago was mm. that by actually – uh, creating a good COVID-free zone, it actually yep. has some plus sides for the economy. So just, you know, that's evidence of that sort of thing. So, the, Don, um, one, of the, one of the things I, I, I read recently, I forget where I read it, I, I might have even heard it on the podcast, they're predicting that 40% of, because so many people are working from home now, they're predicting that 40% of the people currently working from home may not ever go back to an actual workplace. They may be working from home for the foreseeable future. Yes, I think that's right. Hey, Don, we're coming up onto two hours, which is which is way too much. Yeah. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so people are going to start putting us on double speed to get through it. So, thanks for calling in. Glad to hear you're a new convert. Tell all your friends yeah. and thanks for listening. Oh, yeah, I do. Don, I'd, yeah. I'd tell everybody. Yeah, yeah. No worries, Don. Thanks for that. See ya. Excellent. Bye. See ya. Bye. Thanks, Don. All right.
chat room, uh, the waiting room's empty. Yeah, no one else in there. Okay, all right, we're done now. I think so. Uh, well, that was encouraging to it know was, some people yeah. going that far back through the catalogue and are so keen on the mm. podcast. That was motivating. Sorry, it was, yeah. yeah. All right, it's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from me. Bye, Earthlings. The best, like all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think is a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to, I think, $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, Is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe... You really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.